Amen. And that's the thing with Christ. It's only going forward. There's no going backwards. There's no looking back. Um, speaking of looking back, in the 1960s, now, those of you who are of my generation, you will know something called the Cold War, right? In after World War II, there were two big political blocks. You had the West, which is the United States, Canada, those countries. And then you had the USSR, uh, Russia, and all of those countries. And there was what they called the Cold War. And it's the Cold War because those two powers are at, are at odds against one another, but they can never fight. Because if they fight, it would be the end of the world. Because they've reached such a level of power with the nuclear weapons and all of that stuff. And so at any moment, we lived in fear that literally any one of our cities could be blown up. So in preparation for such an event, the um, Department of Defense, the government, they invented um, a network system. Right, So that if one city would be attacked, all the information in that city would be in another city. It would be in another spot. And that system would develop to become what we now know as the Internet. Right, So it started in the 60s for military applications. And then in the 70s and 80s, it went to universities and colleges. Now they were able to exchange information for research purposes. And then in the 90s, it became commercialized, and now it's what we call now as, as the Internet. Um, and now at any given day, there are 5 to 8 billion searches on Google. How many people use Google this week? For some reason, right? Amen. Uh, even for us here, we use Google Drive to share the, the service. And uh, if you go to work, maybe you're using Google Maps. Uh, on YouTube, they say there's like... Five to eight million videos being uploaded every day. That's 270,000 hours of, of video content, right? And how many people lost sleep this week just watching YouTube videos? Amen. I hope one of those videos was last week's service. Amen. And so we have access to such a level of information, right? If you want to learn um, a language, you can go on YouTube and you find language classes about whatever language that you want. If you want to learn physics, you can find a channel about learning physics. And we have access to all of that information. We have ways of communicating. Now you can call people in other countries and not necessarily have to pay long distance. But yet, in spite of all that information, without, in spite of all that connection, we're still very unhappy. They say that in 2020, the, what they call the happiness index reached an all, a 50-year low. We're not more happy today with all of that technology than our predecessors that didn't have all of that. When I was growing up, you would... Get up on a summer day, and we, we used to long for summer so we can go out and play with the friends in the street, right? We would go out and play baseball or hockey or whatever it is. Nowadays, you have to push the kids, you have to punish them to go outside because they want to stay inside to be in front of the devices. 
So back then, we were a lot more connected. We had a lot more relationship and you had a lot more happiness than now. Now there's a certain level of discontent. Uh, they say that Instagram, anybody, anybody on Instagram? They say that Instagram is affecting negatively the self-esteem of young ladies. Because you watch on Instagram, Instagram models and all of that stuff, and you have an image of their life. How many people know that that image is false? Amen? How many people know there's a difference between Instagram life and real life? It's like I'm with my sister one time, and she's like, okay, you know what? I need to post on Instagram, uh, Instagram life. So we, we take a picture, and she takes a selfie right under the palm tree, right? And she's going to post that on Instagram. But then when you take a wider shot, she's in front of Ross, right? Nothing special. But to her friends in North Carolina, it's going to look like, wow, she's in paradise. Because it's a picture right in front of the palm tree. So there's a difference between Instagram life and then real life. In real life, what we find is people are not more happy than they were before. There's more solitude than they were before. They say, especially during the pandemic, the suicidal rate among teens increased drastically. Drug abuse increased drastically. So then why is it that even though we have so much resources, we're still unsatisfied? Please follow with me as we go in, in our passage for today, which is John chapter 6, verse 25 to 35. John chapter 6, verse 25 to 35. And out of respect for the word, if you would please stand up. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set a seal, that then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Father, bless your word in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. So we are concluding our time in the book of John, where we started with the truth on trial around the time of Easter, and then we went with the signs, the different signs in the book of, of John. And, and we know that the signs that, that were in the book of John were to reveal that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that if we believe in him, we will have eternal life. 
And now we're concluding with the seven I am's. And this one, the I am the bread of life, is actually the first one. Um, so we have the I am the bread of life. And then we have the light of the world, which was our revival. And then I am the gate, um, the gate uh, uh, for the sheep. And then I am the good shepherd. And then I am the resurrection and the life. And then I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And then last week we had, I am the true vine. And we have to abide in the true vine. And so we end with the beginning, which is, I am the bread of life. And this, I am, is on the heels of a miracle that Jesus performed. Jesus was preaching, and after the sermon was done, after the time was gone, the people, there was a crowd, they were hungry. There were about 5,000 men, the Bible says. But if there were 5,000 men, that means you have to add to that the women and you have to add to that the children. So at that point, maybe you have 20,000 people. And now they're saying to Jesus, Jesus, we have to send these people away because they haven't eaten yet. They have to eat. And then Jesus tells the disciple, well, why don't you give them to eat? And they say, well, we don't have enough money to feed all of those people because it would take half a year's salary to feed. Can you imagine trying to feed 20,000 people on the, on the whim? If they go to Subway for a $5 foot long, that's like $100,000. And so Jesus says, why don't you feed them? But then Andrew says, you know what? There's a kid and he has... He has bread and he has fish. And then just, okay, have everybody sit down. And then he performs the multiplication of the bread and the fish. And the Bible says that they were, they ate so much that they were leftovers. And then Jesus says, save the leftovers so that, so that nothing gets lost. Because God can do miracles, but Jesus doesn't, doesn't, um, doesn't like waste. And so they do that. But then something happens where the disciples leave on the boat. And Jesus says, you know, I'm going to stay behind a little bit. And then so they leave on the boat. And then Jesus says, okay, I'm going to catch up with them. But there's no more boats. So then Jesus starts walking on the water, right? He starts walking on the water. And at first they think it's a ghost. And yet... And then he makes it on, on the boat and they go to the other side. And that's why in the beginning... It says, when they found him on the other side, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Because we, we, we know the amount of boats that they were, but there was no boats left for you, but somehow you make it to the other side. How many people know that Jesus has more than one way to get things done? Amen. Jesus has more than one way to get things done. But then Jesus as it is his fashion, doesn't really answer their question. He goes to the real heart of the matter. He says, truly I say to you, that's verse 26, you are seeking me. Go back one slide, please. Go back to the slides that you were. I am the bread of life, verse 26. He says, Jesus answered to him, truly I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your field of the loaves. Now, you remember we said the signs were, were there to show who Jesus was. So what Jesus is telling them, you guys came not to know more about me, but you came because you want more food. 
How many people know that sometimes that's how we behave? We come to Christ because of what Christ can give us. We come to Christ for, for to get more food rather than to know who Jesus is. We come to Christ because we have a need. And, and, and we've all been there, right? Uh, raise your hand if you've been in a situation where you're living your life fine and then something happens and that something happens got you in a point of distress and now your, your prayer life now increased. Amen. Has that ever happened to you? Like, so, so before you weren't seeking God that much, but that situation now got you stuck and now you're seeking God more and now your prayer life increase because of that, whatever the situation is. And sometimes God allows situation in our lives because God is a God of relationship. God is a God of, of love. The, the, the big commandment that God gives us is to, for us to love him. That's all he wants. He wants your love. He doesn't want your ritual. He wants your heart. He doesn't, a lot of times we do a lot of works, but he wants us. And so sometimes he creates situation in our, in our lives so that we can spend more time with him. And so the people that were looking for, for him, they weren't looking for Jesus because of who he is. They were looking for Jesus for what he could do for them. So they were looking for the blessing more than the blesser. They were looking for the healing more than the healer. They were looking for the giving more than the giver. But eventually we have to grow to a level of maturity that, that says that we're going to be there for Christ because Christ is the bread of life. So they came for what Jesus could give them. And what Jesus answers to them in verse 27, he says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Too many times we seek Christ for the things that he can give us that are the things of this world. While we seek him because the money's funny, right? And then we need the money to be right. We seek him because we have an illness in the body and we want the body to be right. But do you understand that anything that we have on this earth, anything that we have, at a certain point it could be taken away. The only thing that cannot be taken away is your relationship with Christ. That's the only thing that will last up unto eternity. And the only thing that will follow you up unto eternity is what you do for Christ. That's the only thing that will, that will, that will, that, that, that will follow us on the, on the other side. And so, then they said to, to him... What must we do, verse 28, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Which is what we often ask ourselves. 
right? We, we want to serve God, but sometimes we don't understand that what God wants is us. So now we revert back to the works that, we, that we're going to do, right? And we come to church and we do this and we do that and we, we, we check boxes. And, and there's a song on Christian radio, you might have heard it, that says, you know what? It needs to be more like falling in love than following rules. It needs to be more like meeting someone than, than just doing rituals. But the, the people at that time, the religious people at that time, they say, okay, we want the food, so now tell us what we have to do to get the food. But then Jesus answered to them and says, verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. The work of God is that you believe in him whom he has sent. In other words, there's nothing you can do to gain the favor of God. The only thing you could do to gain the favor of God is to come to him and believe in him. Right? That's why he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me. Right? So we have to come to him. We have to believe in him. And that's the work that God wants. That's a good work that, you, you know, you can do all the charitable work that you want. You can do all the church attendance that you want. If you do not believe in him, if you do not come to him, and him is Jesus Christ, it's all in vain. Look at what he says, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 to 10, Paul says, puts it like this. He says, So Ephesians chapter 2, starting from verse 3, says, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We were like the rest, by nature deserving of wrath. Wrath of who? The wrath of God. You know, touch your neighbor and say, you ain't better than nobody else. You ain't better. We ain't better than nobody else. Understand that, right? Uh, you can walk with swag, but you're not better than anybody else. I'm not better than you. I'm not better than nobody else. But verse 4, and, and, and I bless God for every time in the Bible that there's a but God. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages we might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not from yourself, it is the gift of God. Not by works that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, Paul, who's writing this, Paul was a very religious man. He was a Pharisee, and he was ahead of his time. He was a young man, but he was amongst the top, right? He was very zealous, very religious. But even in his religion, he says this. He says, verse 3, all of us, 
lived among. So his religion did not save him from all the flesh desires that he had. And some of us, that's where we find ourselves, right? Where we find ourselves, where we're following religion, but religion is not sufficient to save you. Religion cannot transform you. You know, we were, I was biking yesterday, and you know when you're on the road, the road then gets some bumps. And I asked my son, I was back, and my son said, do you know what the bumps are, right? He said, no, I don't know. The bumps on the road are the roots of the trees. So the road could be paved on top, but underneath there are roots, right? And the roots, when they grow, they break the surface. And, and, and that's sometimes that's us where we have the religious surface, like the suit, the tie, but underneath there are some roots. And, and unless those roots are taken away, eventually they come to the surface. And what can take those roots away? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can take those roots away is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and I know like when we come to church, everybody looks good. But I'm going to tell you a secret. Everybody going through something. Everybody's going through something. I, I, I don't care if you've been in church 50 years, you're going through some. You're going through some. And we need the power of God to be able to take those roots away. It's only by his power that those can, can be taken away. But then he says, so it's by grace that we are saved. And, and you know sometimes, like, I don't know if you're like me, but you know sometimes you mess up and you feel like you don't deserve the grace of God. You feel like you're not deserving of his forgiveness. But let me give you a trick. Let me give you a little secret. You never deserved it. You never deserved it in the first place. So when you were walking and you thought you were walking straight, you still did not deserve it at that time. That's why it's by grace. Because if at any point you were be able to do it and, and deserve it yourself, then you wouldn't need Jesus to come die on the cross. But we're so helpless and hopeless in that sense that he came. And Bible says, while we were yet sinners, God shows his love for us by sending his son to die on the cross. And that's why he had to came. That's why he had to come is because we were not able in the first place. So when you feel like you don't deserve it, you never did. And he still welcomes you. And he still wants you to come. That's what the whole gospel is about. It's about you coming to God. It's about Jesus coming and making a way so that we can come to him. You know, they've said that religions is how you try to get to God. But Christianity is what God made to come to you. Because you cannot climb that mountain by yourself. You can try, but you won't fail. So because we cannot do it by ourselves, Jesus came and did it for us. And then he says, he did that, so verse, verse now he says, not by works that no one can boast, and in verse 10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The handiwork is the Greek word poema, which means it's a piece of art. 
You know, understand that when you come to Christ, now the potter gets, gets to work and he's about to do a masterpiece in your life. He's about to transform your life. And, and you're not just at that point now, you're not just a, a little vessel. You know, like out in the house, you have those little gobelets and that's, no, no, you're a masterpiece of God. You're not that little, you're the nice china in the house of God. That's what the word handiwork means. It means a masterpiece. But then he says, to do the works which God prepared for us in advance. Because I don't want you to think that you come and you're saved and you do nothing. No, you come, you're saved, and then you put your gifts and your talents to do the works that God already prepared for you in advance. And the whole purpose of life is to walk in those works that God has prepared for us in advance. But you cannot walk in those works unless you come to him first. You know, it's a sequence order. Sometimes we try to do the works, but we haven't come to him yet first. We try to do the works, but we haven't put him first. It's like that, that story that they give. You know how they catch the monkeys in, in, in the jungle? They put a trap. And there's like a, they put nuts in the trap, right? And the monkey comes and they put their hand in the trap and they grab the, the, the whatever, the food. And then they try to take their hand out, but they can't. They can't take their hand out. But all they have to do to take their hand out is to let it go. And they would be able to take their hand out. But they don't, they never want to let it go. They never want to let go of that food. So they lose their freedom because they're holding on to something that they can't let go of, that they don't want to let go of. What are you holding on to today that you don't want to let go? Sometimes the pain that we're going through is, is what we're holding. Because sometimes we get comfort. In, 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 in that, right? Uh, or, or some, or maybe it's the greed. Maybe it's the money. Like, I want money. I, I don't want to be a chump. I want, I, want, I want to be prosperous. So we don't want to let go of that. And so we hold on. But because we hold on, we never get freedom. But because we hold on, we never, we never, we never go to the next level. But look what Jesus says. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, 29, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. And when he tells us to come, he says, you know, if you're burdened, if you're worried, if, if you have a weight on your shoulder, come to me. Come to me. And, and that's where sometimes the message of the gospel is misunderstood. Because we think of God as an old man in heaven and he's mad at us, right? And he's waiting. How many people, that's how you feel, right? You feel that God is in heaven and he's waiting for the opportunity to whack you, right? You're like, like, like you're, you're, oh, you stepped out of line, pop, whack. Oh, 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 no, you said something bad, what? How many people, that's how you feel? But Jesus says, you know what, come to me. You can come to me because I am gentle and I'm humble of heart. Jesus knows you're not perfect. Jesus knows I'm not perfect. That's why he died on the cross. And he says, come to me. But you'll notice that he says, come 
and then I will do. Right? He says, come to me, and then I will do. He, said, he told his disciples, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say, come follow me, and then go fish. No, he says, I will. Right? So the transformation that happens is his work in us. But my question to you is, are you willing to let him work in you? Are you willing to let him work in you? Are you willing to say, okay, you know what? All my desires, all my cravings, I'm going to let you feel them. Because that's what it means. It says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. The problem is that we have cravings, we have, we have desires that are fleshly desires, that are desires of this world. And some of them are not necessarily bad desires, but to fulfill them the right way, you have to put Christ first. Christ has to come first. And then he says, come to me, all who you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And then he says, and learn from me. Whenever you're learning something, it's a process. And it's a process that leads to progress, right? It's not instantaneous, right? And learn from him. Learn how to live. Learn how to be. Learn who he is. A lot of times you think that you get saved and you know everything about Christ. That's not true. Even now, I've been a Christian for like decades, but I don't know everything about Christ. I actually, I think I know very little about Christ, if you want to know the truth. Christ created the universe. Christ created everything. How are we going to know everything? No, you can't. You know, some me, I don't care if you've been a Christian 60 years, you're not going to know everything about Christ. But that's why you have to endeavor to learn about him and, and, and to to trust him, right? He says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. But then the following says, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever, shall, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Next slide. And so if you believe, believe means to trust. Right. To trust. And that's a lot of times the problem that we go through. We know God exists. We don't doubt that. But do we trust him? Do we trust him with the things that we're going through? Do we trust him for tomorrow? Do we trust him in this relationship? Do we. You know, to tell the story of somebody that was walking the tight rope over Niagara Falls, you know, those big falls, and he was, you know, walking the tight rope. And then he goes and he, he, he does it with baskets, and he, he a water basket, and he, he walks the tight rope. And the crowd is there, and the crowd is cheering, says, well, can you, you believe he can do it with even more buckets? And yeah, everybody's like, yeah, we can do it with more buckets. And he does it with more buckets, and he, and he goes, and he goes. And then they ask, okay, now, who wants to go and be on the bucket while he... Nobody volunteers. <laughs> so everybody believed he could do it as long as it did not affect them. But when it came to them, now they had doubts, right? And, and, and that's sometimes that what we go through, right? We're, we have a lot of faith for other people. But do we have faith when we're going through it? Do we have faith when we're, 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 we're in the grinder? And, and, and let me give you a, a, a secret of life. At different times of life, everybody's going to go through the grinder. 
Everybody's going to go through hard times. It's inevitable. That's, that's, that's what makes this human. You know, there's some, one thing that unites humans in America, China, Africa, Europe, uh, uh, Latin America. All of us, at a certain point in our lives, we're going to go through suffering. We're going to go through hard times. All of us. For, 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 and and all of, some of us, it's in the future. Some of us, it's in the past. Some of us, it's right now. But everybody, we're going to go through it. But here's what Paul says, if you follow with me in a very popular passage, Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, 13, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. A lot of times that passage, you know, you have boxers that says, oh, I can do all things because I'm on box this guy. You have basketball players. It's on their shoes. I can do all things. I'm going to make three-point shots. Amen. But in the passage, what Paul is saying is, I know what it is to be in want, meaning I don't have any food. And Paul, in his life, he was shipwrecked, so he's on a ship. He was beaten to death. He went through a whole lot of different hardship. And he says, you know, I know how to live in those times. But I also know how to live with plenty. I know how to live like I'm balling, like the checks coming and there's, and I'm paid everything and there's some left. And, and, and I know how to live when, 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 you know, the car is, is a fine car. It's all of that. And basically, you know what? When things are going well, I'm not going to let it go in my head. And that's important for some people here because God is going to bless you. God is going to bless you financially beyond what you can imagine. But you need to understand that that's not for you to get a big head, but that's for you to bless other people. But other people, times are hard. And in times of hardship, sometimes we can feel despair, right? David, in his life, he felt despair at certain times, um, Abraham, at a certain point, felt despair. They all feel, uh, Jacob felt despair at a certain time in his life. But when the despair, when you get that sense where you feel desperate, right, because the situation is so harsh, do you lose hope or do you run to Christ? And Paul says, I know how to live on those times too. I know how I, I, I can make it through those times because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So now the, the source of his strength is Jesus Christ. And, 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 and so if I have one point for the message today, is Christ is enough. That's the point of the message today. That's what I want you to take away, is that Christ is enough. I am the bread of life, meaning I am the source and the resource. I am what sustains you. That's what bread does, right? When you're hungry, what you go? You go for bread, you go for food, and that sustains your body, and that gives life to your body. But for your life and for your soul, Jesus is enough. Jesus, he says, if, if you come to me, you will not hunger and you will not thirst. I am enough. And that's the goal of the message today, is that Christ is enough. Matthew 6, 32, 34 says, when Jesus is talking about, you know, don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about tomorrow. And he says in chapter 6, 32 of Matthew, he says, for the pagans 
run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He says, you know, you worry about all these things like the pagans. The pagans are the people who do not know God. But you know God and God, he calls himself your father. There is no father worth his salt that will let his children go hungry. There is no father that sees and loves his child that their child is hurt, that he's not going to intervene. And so the key now that Jesus says is don't worry about these things is seek first the kingdom of God. And can I ask you a challenge? Can I ask you a challenge? If you go back over the past week, What's the first thing you do in the morning? First thing you did in the morning. I didn't say the first thing you should do in the morning. I said the first thing you actually did in the morning. Other than brush your teeth. But it's okay. You can go to God with bad breath. You don't get... If first thing that you did was go on your social media then I would bring to you maybe that you seek first social media. If the first thing that you did was get up, run, and go to work, maybe the first thing you seek is paycheck. But Christ says, seek first the kingdom of God. Meaning put God first. Put him first, and then all these things will be added unto you. So as we close today, everybody close your eyes, bow your heads, worship team, you can come. I'm going to ask you, because Jesus is enough. Christ is enough. But do you prioritize Christ in your life? You know that if you prioritize Christ in your life, Christ will prioritize you. If you put Christ first, then he'll put you first. And he already put you first by dying on the cross for your sins. But for your day-to-day, for the blessings that you need day-to-day, are you seeking him first? And saying, you know what? Whether you pay the bill or not pay the bill, I'm going to trust you. Whether you you make this relationship work or not work, I'm going to trust you. Because at the end of the day, God, I'm here for you. I'm not here only for your hand. I'm near for you. I'm not here for for, for your blessing. I'm here for your heart. Can you put God first going forward? God bless you.